When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Gemma and I are just one hour time difference apart, and yet I've already confused the hell out of both of us on a couple of occasions by getting the two time zones confused. But there are far um, more complicated scenarios regarding half an hour and differences. So hi to everyone who's tuning in. Uh, we're back here with Gemma. Last time we saw Gemma live, at least, was just after Wimbledon, although we did get a little snippet from her just before the men's singles final, and she called it uh, in terms of Djokovic and um, Medvedev. Um, but that's something else, and we've done that to the deaths. Let's talk about the wheelchairs again. And let's begin with, well, actually, let's begin with a topic that I wasn't aware of, and I'm sure some of my audience isn't aware of. And Gemma, you can explain it. Just before we went live, I said, well, we've got men's singles, women's singles, and I mentioned mixed doubles, and you went, oh, there's no mixed doubles no. in the wheelchairs, at least not at the slams. Why is that? Um, I think I think there's something about um, draw sizes and scheduling and stuff, but in I mean, that is a loophole. So you could technically, in the quads division, have a mixed doubles, okay. uh, because um, men and women compete in um, the quad division together. So technically, you could see that in the quad division in any tournament, including a Grand Slam if a woman was to get kind of high enough ranked. Um, but we have seen them at some tournaments as kind of like fun events. So okay. the British Open here in Nottingham um, before the pandemic, so it's not happened since the pandemic, but before the pandemic, used to regularly um, 
run a mixed doubles event just for fun and any players could sign up it was always great fun because you'd see partnerships you never thought you'd see um and um you'd see you know lucy shuka partnering stefan Hooday and um alfie partnering dana matheson and you know it, it was it was it was it, it's a fun event i i, I thoroughly want there to be mixed up with in wheelchair tennis but yeah at the minute the only loophole where we see it is if uh, a female plays with male in the quads doubles event okay let's begin therefore let's get into the you know the winners and the losers um at the tournament in the us open and i'm sure there'll be plenty of narratives to emerge alfie hewitt again is somebody that many of us particularly in the uk will be uh, familiar with uh, adding his name to the men's wheelchair singles trophy for the fourth time, I believe. It, is that right? That he's won the U.S. Open singles. Yeah, four times now. So, and of course, and he beat eight. a fellow fellow Brit in the final in Gordon Reed. Oh, I, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm sure many occasions we'll go for a tangent. I, I remember seeing a tweet. I think from you that you're a little bit disappointed by the lack of journalistic presence from particularly British journalists. Bearing in mind it was an all men's final, right? In the in the yeah. press conference. I mean, the honest truth is that in every um, press conference that either Gordon or Alfie had through the tournament, it was just me. Um, right. <laughs> uh, that's how, I mean, I get and I, you know, okay, the Djokovic Medvedev final was on when Alfie went to press. But I don't think Got when it. they're ten, 10 steps away from you, giving up 15 minutes to go and speak to a British woman, winner when you're a British journalist is that hard because... That's what you're there for, to report on the tennis in all its forms. Yeah. Um, so I got yeah. quite cross because actually I even said to my mum, because I can't go in the traditional press way because there's stairs. So I go in the same way as the players. I'm like, they, okay. literally, they literally had to walk less than I had to wheel to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really disappointing and really disappointing to see because it felt like at Wimbledon there was this turnaround, but it... And then at the US Open, it just didn't happen. And then, I mean, I always have excuses on my Twitter when I put things up. And it's like, well, it's difficult to, and it's up to editors to say, no, but you're there. So you can just say, I'm going to ask a few questions, see if I can get a story out of it. Um, you know, and and it, it just was really, really disappointing too. There was a couple of times, and he didn't mean this in a horrible way, um, where Alfie would turn up for press and he'd turn and go, is it just Gemma? And, and I'd be like, sorry. Um, um, and, and and like when I was sat in that massive press room, because they give them the main press room when they win the titles at the US Open, I was yep. like, there's literally me and a lady from the US Open website. And okay. that is it. <laughs> and um, yeah. it, just, it just gets me angry because, like, what do these guys need to do? I mean, that was Alfie's eighth singles title, eighth singles grand slam title across all of the grand slams um you know he's not you know mediocre he's like achieving on the big stage and it was an all british final and it was a historic moment so in any form of the game there'd never been an all british singles final men's singles final in the open era so what Gemma? what court was that played on the, the, that the, was the played wheel. on uh, louis armstrong so one okay. of the show courts yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the problem is, of course, is that a, a journalist is probably asked to not miss a single detail from the men's singles final between Djokovic and Mebedev. And I'm just wondering if how that could have been, if that could have been a bit 
if the scheduling could have been a bit more spread out even well the final yeah. was before the final was before the Djokovic match it finished before it, it I got it yeah but I mean um, I mean attending the press conference because you said it was um, the press conference was going on at the same time and I know I, I'm just thinking Gemma that if, if my editor is saying listen I don't want you to miss a single beat of that men's singles final I, I probably can't even leave for 10 or 15 minutes. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I think also, like, I go as kind of a one-man band. And I manage to get every single wheelchair player that I want. Um, I go as a one-man band. Um, and a lot of these places are going with teams of two or three people. You can give yep. up one person. Yeah, um, Like, Like, it's... it's you know, when they say, oh, we're really stretched, there's three of us and we have to do all this work, I'm like, there's one of me. There's one yeah. of me with no functional hands and no functional legs. Um, so come up with another excuse. You know, what about Gemma? What I would propose is to try and get, uh, by the time that the, the tournament is thinning out, to try and get this on, on the Arthur Ashe Stadium and then have it as part of a, you know, I think there's only one other final that same day. I think there's a doubles uh, final that precedes the men's singles final. Why not have three matches on Ash that day? I mean, yeah, I mean, they have played on Ash before. Uh, so I have been at the US Open before when they played on Ash. It's generally because we've had one of those New York days, which we didn't really get till the end um, last uh, this year, which is where it's just completely rained for the whole day. And they've had to keep up with the schedule. So we have seen wheelchair matches on Ash. Okay. Um, but um, I mean, Louis Armstrong's quite an impressive stadium as well. And I think some things that, I mean, I understand it as, a wheelchair user having to get from Louis Armstrong to the press room. Uh, it is a mammoth task. Um, you have to, I mean, I, I, the players have a separate way to go, but it is quite far away from the media centre. Um, I mean, when I have to go, I have to try and avoid being sat on by people, knocked over by people. <laughs> um, and I have to try and do it as quickly as possible um, so that I'm there ready for when the players are there. Um, so, um, um, so, um, so it it is you know it's not like it's not like there would have been any delays in the press conference happening you know the players were going straight to press conferences on finals days um because they just wanted to get do that journey and then go back and do what they wanted so there was always going to be a bit of a lag uh, on it um so um so yeah okay what did alfie had to say when he came to press after uh, he was very happy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Obviously, we didn't get to see the, um, the the grudge match, the rivalry match between him and Takito Oda, because actually Stefan Hude, uh, in spectacular fashion in the first round, uh, knocked Takito out of the singles one and one. Um, so we didn't. That's how we we have a bit of a different final. So Stefan Hude was playing the tennis of his life. I think he was having the tournament of his life. Um, um, quite impressively and um, eventually toppled by Gordon Reed in the semi-finals but um, yeah that's why we don't, didn't see Takito Oda uh, in the final with Alfie I think there were a few um, different feelings going on with Alfie because obviously um, um, it opened up the draw and it opened up the draw massively on Gordon's side um, because everybody would have expected him to Takito Oda to be in that semi-final but I think Alfie was a bit like, I wanted to play him and get a, get a, get a revenge for Wimbledon. 
um what's what's the what do you when you're talking about this grudge match is, is it because of what happened at wimbledon or is there something deeper no, it's going just, on it's no 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 there's nothing deeper going on it's just it's a really nice rivalry to see starting okay. to happen um it's really nice rivalry because the um um because what's happening is alfie and taquito are pushing each other to be better uh, so you, you, every time you watch them play each other, there's so many um, developments in each of their games to watch and little little tiny bits of progress that you can see having been made because the pair of them know that at some point they're probably going to end up going head-to-head, whether that's in a final, a semi-final or a quarter-final. And, um, and, and they're, they're really up in their game. So it's always nice to see. It's not, it's not nice to watch. Uh, because your heart does stop but it's always nice to watch in a way that you can see the improvements that both players are making to the game and how they're both kind of um pushing the boundaries of what can be done in wheelchair tennis as well uh, a word on gordon uh, on reed as well of course who lost that final i mean uh, a lot of positives to take i guess despite the disappointing final I mean, yeah, I would say Gordon was a bit harsh on himself in, in you know, his speech that he did at the end of the match because the tennis he played for the whole week was phenomenal. And, you know, given this time last year, he had that wrist injury and, you know, he didn't know whether he was going to play again. What did he, what did he say in the speech after, sorry? And he was a bit harsh and he was like, oh, I didn't really turn up today and I didn't play my best and okay. stuff like that. You know, it's difficult. And actually... If you look at Alfie's matches through the US Open, and it's probably because each of them know each other's games from playing doubles, and they're very open and honest with each other because they have to be as doubles partners about their tennis and how they best play. So it probably doesn't do either of them ever any favours. Um, if you looked at the games and the points, uh, I mean, when you look at the way Alfie swept past Gustavo Fernandez the round before, uh, how Gordon kept him and kept him working and kept him working actually was really impressive during that final um you know it was probably one of those um finals where the scoreline didn't 100 percent, especially in the second set reflect what was going on in court on court really okay uh let's move over to the women's singles uh where again there was a familiar face uh, yeah. who was successful uh a five-time champion there are going to be some new people of course we're going to have some unseeded finalists to talk about in a minute but before we do uh, let's get into five-time defending champion Didier Groot, uh who beat uh you kamiji in the final in straight sets uh at the us open and so uh, did you manage to attend that one as well yeah, uh, so I watched that one. It's really important to me to do the women's wheelchair as well because even though we don't didn't have any Brits in, by the time it reached the pointy end, we did have Lucy Schuker in, who got her first okay. ever win at singles win at the US Open, um, nice. and made it to the quarterfinals. But she she got knocked out by Dida in the quarterfinals. Um, I mean, Dida is just this phenomenal athlete, and again, like we said about Alfie Hewitt, is that she just seems to be improving a game i mean um this season i was talking to her and she says you know because last season actually she was getting really frustrated with her serve so she's really gone and worked on it um this season and um i mean this season generally on the big stages when i've seen her her serve's been working it's been it's i mean it's been brilliant even when she was saying it was dodgy to be fair it was still very good um but um, how's your serve Gemma? <laughs> actually it's probably one of the strongest parts of my game okay, okay. Um, so it's not too bad um but um they um they um what she's doing is and i think it's really good psychology to have actually and it's helping her you know she's not com concentrating on 
how many singles matches she's now gone unbeaten. She's not chasing any records that Esther Vergeer set because she's openly said it to me that, you know, she ends her career not having achieved it and she sets it as a goal, then she'll be disappointed when actually what she has achieved um, in her career so far is, you know, incredible. Um, she's very much focused on her own progress. So she looks at her game, she studies her game and she, um, she says, right, I'm not happy with this element of my game. What can I do better with it? And and then she goes into the next tournament with that. Um, so, and, and, you know, there were some, you know, some of her opponents, you know, uh, Momoko Otani had changed her game up a bit. Uh, so she played Momoko Otani in the semi-final. She changed her game up a bit, which gave her a, a, Dida a few questions to answer um, when they played each other in the semi-final. But, you know, Dida, Dida answers those questions expertly. And, um, you know, whichever slam you see her winning at the minute, it seems to mean a lot to her. Is it 12 in a row, by the way, for her? Yeah, she's now done the calendar Grand Slam for three years straight. Um, <laughs> That's pretty I mean, incredible. I don't think anybody else has achieved that. Um, right. It's, um, it's in, you know, and actually one of them was a Golden Slam because she won the gold medal in the Paralympics in Tokyo as well. So what the is question it? is... What is it that she's doing better than everyone else, would you say? I think it's the all-round athleticism. Like, if you ask the other girls on the tour, they will say, she's just an incredible athlete. Like, she's she's on another level when it comes to... You know, we talk about in the um, ATP and WTA tours about um, players who are athletes that are incredible beyond tennis. And I think mm -hmm. that's what Dida is. Um, you know, she works so hard. She's got such a work ethic that, um, honestly, I, I've never really seen before. Um, and she just wants more and more and more. And like I say, I think it's because she focuses on the individual progress, so the small goals, to get the big picture, rather than saying, right, I've got to win this many matches to get the title at the end of it it's very much and Alfie's very much the same actually he uses progress goals rather than outcome goals um okay. so it, that might be the secret to both of their successes I I have no idea but I just it'll be interesting because next year she can't defend the golden slam Dida, because there's no wheelchair tennis at the US Open because the Paralympics are on and are at the same time so oh. it will just be three slams and the Paralympics so it's a bit mm. I, it would have been nice to see if she could have done like the double golden slam as well and done Tokyo and Paris, but we're not going to get to see that really. No, I, I, listen, this is just a, a first thought that comes to mind. I was just wondering if they could have a, a separate part of the calendar for the US Open, you know, just have, you know, I don't know how long it could it would need. And, uh, um, you know, I'm sure a, a week of US Open wheelchair tennis could really bring a lot of focus to the sport now what i mean is so we have the paralympics taking place and then a couple of weeks later four weeks later as long as weather permits end of september instead of being end of august beginning of september let's have a week of wheelchair tennis when there's like right now for example that even tennis fans like myself are going oh, labor cup mm, davis cup you know <laughs> um is not as popular as it once was there's other tournaments going on Hey, how about let's have a, let's have a week of just incredible focus on wheelchair tennis, and have a U.S. Open during one week. That would be my immediate response. Yeah, to that. 
I mean, the thing that the immediate reaction from some people was that, well, put us in the qualifying week because the qualifying weeks before the Paralympics start. But um, I do know, and I did ask the USTA whether there was a chance that it was going to happen because, quite frankly, I'm going to miss my trip to New York as well. Um, (laughs) I'm going to do two trips to Paris instead, quite close to each other. Um, um, And um, the USTA said they haven't got enough courts um, to run it qualifying week. So... Um, yeah, I mean, the problem is as well with the wheelchair calendar is it is a full calendar as well. So as yeah. well as having the US Open, you've also got, I don't know how many of your listeners are aware, but um, the US Open Super Series, which okay. is held somewhere else in the USA. And that's kind of okay. the level below Grand Slam. And then obviously the wheelchair tennis players have their NWM Masters as well. So this year it's in Spain. Um it, about the first week in November and end week of October, first week in November. So it's 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 scheduling that in the calendar as well. Uh, but it is a shame. It's like so for Tokyo because they had to move the Paralympics slightly because of the humidity and the likelihood of you know extreme weather. It worked out perfectly that you could do both the Paralympics and play the U.S. Open. But it was the first time it had happened. I think at all, but it definitely during my reporting career, it's always been this thing. Like every every four years, the U.S. Open wheelchair tennis gets yeah cast off for the Paralympics. All right, let's move over to the uh, women's doubles uh, U.S. Open this year. Um, tell us a little bit about. Uh, I think it was won this year. Was it by Gabriela Dabrowski and Erin Rutcliffe? Um, uh, sorry, no, no, no. Um, uh, t- sorry, tell me a bit about the, the women's uh, doubles. Oh, yeah, the women's wheelchair doubles. So it was a bit of a weird final. So uh, Dida was partnering um, Yiska, um, all Dutch partnering, and Yui Kamiji and Keiji Monjani were partnering each other. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in the semi-finals, Yiska had had to withdraw because she because of sickness, because of illness, oh, okay. um, after the first set. So... Um, nobody quite like she posted on Instagram that night fingers crossed I'll be better for the doubles final Um, and then it got to the doubles final and um, she wasn't feeling any better and so it was it was a walkover in the doubles final Um, slightly disappointed because those four going head-to-head would have been an amazing women's doubles final Um, um, it would have been and I, I you know what? But um, equally happy for Yui and KG to see their names on another doubles title together because actually they've not been playing together very long and they're quite a fun doubles partnership. I love them. I think I tweeted after I'd spoken to them that um, there's some amazing characters in the women's wheelchair uh, side of the draws and Yui and KG are two of them. I mean, they're fantastic. I mean, I interviewed KG and Yui after the walkover of final. And I, um, I asked them to imagine how the final had, would go, <laughs> uh, and and I'd like you, to, I'd like you to tell me about an imaginary final. I just did it for a bit uh-huh. of fun, and and, and what did they have, say? And they were like, oh, it's going to be tight. Everything was going to go to juice, <laughs> which is probably about right. But I, I think what it means is um, when we see the singles and doubles masters in November in Spain, I think if these two partnerships make it to the final, uh, we're going to see. One hand uh, a, final. A US Open light, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> a US Open repeat. Um, by the way, did I like that question, and I, it reminds me of um, once uh, a co-commentator asked Murray Walker, the Formula One commentator, 
to imagine a Formula One race and just start commentating on it. And his co-commentator, Martin Brundle, said he, he was so believable that he had to look out the window just to check there wasn't actually a race going on. <laughs> well, no, actually, to be fair, they were. And to be fair, they were just... Like, KG was just replaying every final I've watched those four play. Because it is... And that's what's... That's, you know, Yiska, I hope she's starting to feel better now because I know she wasn't very well. Like, um, we were all like... Um, and... Um, and, and we were like, oh, God, I hope she's okay. Um, but um, but they, um, but <laughs> it was, it was like, I was like, oh, I wanted to see that final. But <laughs> it was, I had it on my, this is going to be the final of the day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, and, and, and it's very, like, I love it when a women's match is the standout, part, like, match of the day. Because I think much like with, you know, <laughs> Um, the pedestrian game, the women do get kind of left behind. I think I speak a lot on a women's sports show. Okay. Um, and they let me talk about Which women. One? Uh, Which it's, one? Um, so it's with Fern Buckley on BBC Solon. She does a okay. women's sports show every Monday and I do, um, I occasionally go on and talk to her. I think I talked to her last Monday and we were talking about Barbie dolls that were coaches and referees. Um, talking about imagining things, imagining scenarios with Barbie being coaches and referees. Um, <laughs> but um, they, um, I think, I love, yeah, when, when the women's match is the showstopper, um, it's always like I always because you know I am a woman in sport as well and I and I see how representation is lower still and I'm like we need we need to be hitting those headlines and so when the women wheelchair tennis players do I'm like yeah boom done it girls smashed it <laughs> lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> okay. Over to the men's uh, doubles final. And, and I did highlight how, you know, we're seeing repeat winners a lot on the singles in particular. But actually on the men's doubles, we had an all unseeded final uh, where Houdet and Sonata uh, overcame uh, Miki and Oda, 6-4, uh, 6-4. So, of course, the aforementioned Takita Oda did have uh, a shot at fame in the, in, the, in the doubles final, albeit that it didn't work out for him on the day. Tell us a bit about that final and also the men's doubles tournament as a whole. Um, the men's doubles tournament was incredibly high standard. I think okay. um, um, so. Sonada and Stefan Hude had um, beaten Alfie and Gordon in the semi final to get their place in the final. The only pair to have done it this year. Um, um, you know, um, so actually, as a British tennis journalist, that semi final was quite sad because you were like, oh, the unbeaten runs come to an end. And it's come to the end in a semi-final, not a final. But actually, um, that if you go to that semi-final, that semi-final was high-quality tennis. And what was weird about it was the match always felt like it was still on Gordon and Alfie's racket, okay. and they and they it looked like they were still in control. But some, like Sonada and Stefan just pulled something out the bag. I think it was sheer grit and determination, and they won as it got to close. To close the match, they won the important 
points, which then saw them get the win in the semi-final uh, and go on to the final. And um, yeah, earlier on in the week, obviously, Stefan had had a lot of success against Oda in singles. Uh, I okay. think I think he'd maybe taken some of what he'd learned um, playing him in singles to play him in doubles. Mm -hmm. And um, But again, it was a high-quality final, like all of the men's doubles, like the level of tennis that was played. Even though some of them say they were only straight sets wins, um, the standard of tennis that was being played to get those straight sets wins was um, probably some of the highest I've seen in a, in a while, really. I mean, just just thinking about it, we have the the two men's singles finals, both from the UK, actually working as a doubles pairing over <laughs> over in the doubles. So, I mean, that is a, a mouthwatering combination. And so, if you're going to overcome them uh, as they did in the, in the semis. It's going to have to be a pretty mammoth task. Um, we, it's just, it's just getting me to a point here that we're seeing, we are seeing re repeat names. I guess what Gemma, your part, your job is as well is to get more people to pick up a racket, so that possibly in years to come we will look at these guys as, as obviously legends of the game and rightfully so. But maybe in years to come, ten years from now, we'll be talking about four different slam winners in one year you know that's that's yeah. with no disrespect to, to these people that are repeat wins that's kind of the goal if that makes sense right i mean yeah i mean if you look at the men's draw in wheelchair tennis there was a time where i mean not so recently where you were seeing that um and okay. you were seeing um and even now like you saw with the result of stefan hude against takito oda um even those that you see regularly in finals can still be beaten um, and I think, and actually in the men's draw in the US Open, there was some, there was some shot wins. So like on the first day, you had Stefan Hude beat, beating um, Takito Oda. You saw Casey Ratzlaff, who's been at the US Open as a wild card for years, get his first singles win at the US Open and, you know, beat quite formidable Dutch opponents. So you are seeing upsets happening. I mean, um, that first day of the men's wheelchair tennis draw, it was like, sorry, what? So you had it all written down where you thought it was going to land. And then it landed completely differently. And, okay. <laughs> and then, so I think Alfie, when I interviewed him, says, um, thankfully, I didn't trip on that banana skin of being knocked out in the first round. Right. Um, because it was a day where the favourites, if you looked at the matchup, a lot of them were going down. Uh, I don't know whether that was the humidity out in New York or, or what, because it was oppressively hot out there this year. Like, I've never known it that hot. And I asked the players, I said, what's the difference, though? Because it was 40 degrees on at some points. So what's the difference between playing here and in Australia? Because sometimes when we're in Australia, it's 40 degrees. And they were like, a lot of them came back to me and says, it's the humidity. So for them, with Australia, it's fresher at 40 degrees. Whereas this yes, was more right. like... A lot of them um, compared it um, to the humidity when they played in the Tokyo Paralympics. Okay, yeah. And said it was like dealing with that. So what you saw as well, matches were scheduled to start at 11 a.m. They couldn't start till 3 p.m. because it was just too hot um, to play because um, a lot of people in the press room were asking me why the wheelchair had stopped, but none of the other matches had. So the reason why is because, because in some... Um, wheelchair users so for instance i'm i'm one of those so i have a brain injury which means my body can't control my temperature so okay. um they lower the wet bulb temperature to keep people safe so um i mean i was sat still outside the courts and i was like no i don't like this uh, mm. it was oppressively hot like i've never known i mean the first 
day they moved the wheelchair tennis matches back, me and my mum said, oh, we'll go out to Manhattan in the morning. I lasted 400 yards wheeling in my wheelchair before I went, this is too much. Um, because in central Manhattan, it feels hotter as well. So, um, yeah, it, I, I don't know whether some of it was to do with the heat and who coped better with the heat on the day. But, um, you know, it, it was good to see in those first rounds, you know, the draws as it had extended. And it wasn't that you had two or three wild cards and you knew you they automatically went out because, no, some of the wild cards got through. So it was quite exciting in those early stages. So, And I think... And I think it's only going to get more and more like that. I mean, you look in Britain, we have the LTA. They do something called the Wheelchair Tennis Initiative, which is um, where kids who want to, even if they haven't picked up a racket before, can go along for free for a couple, like four or five hours, um, have some lessons, like workshops with the LTA performance team. And you know what? If they're spotted as having talent, then they can get, they start their journeys on the performance pathway. But even if they're not, if they're enjoying the tennis, like if they go along to those days, if they're enjoying it, the, the whole point about participation is that it's not also, yes, it's about finding the future Alfies, the future Gordons, the future Andy Lapthorts. Um, it's, um, it's about getting disabled people to enjoy tennis as a sport. So on those days as well, it's not all about, are you good enough to go on the performance pathway? The LTA very much signpost. Um, opportunities to people who maybe go on that day play tennis for the first time and say i'd quite like to keep playing so they have um, an open court program which is clubs around the country that are set up and willing and able and accessible to take disabled players um so they're always very useful so i i always say to people in the uk you know even if you've never picked up a tennis racket before go to one of those wheelchair tennis initiative days get taught by the best and then, um, and then you'll find out what opportunities are available. Gemma, um, we talked about some of the off-court stuff. We mentioned some of the pros and cons at Wimbledon earlier this year with some matches getting some sort of uh, prominence there on show courts. Um, we also spoke about the US Open just now in terms of disappointment, in terms of maybe attending the press conference, uh, of, of particularly the, the men's singles final uh, from the UK perspective. Uh, were there any other sort of pros and cons that you sort of look at from this year's US Open, maybe comparing it to other years, if it's better or worse, or, or any other takeaways that we can take from it? I think um, what was really good was um, that obviously when we had Wimbledon, and this was in the main draws as well as the wheelchair tennis draws, because of the weather, there was a lot of um, criticism, wasn't there, about scheduling and catching mm -hmm, up mm -hmm. on scheduling. One thing I would give the US Open, and me and my mum both said this, is they had to completely change the schedule of the wheelchair tennis matches. And they still got through every single one each day. Uh, so every single one that was on the list, they got through. They somehow managed to work it. Uh, I don't know how. I do, There were a couple of 11 p.m. finishes. But, um, okay. but, um, but you know what? That's, not, that's early for New York, isn't it? Everybody's still awake at that time, so it doesn't feel like it's late. Uh, and with the 3 o'clock start, it wasn't that much. So one thing I will say... The scheduling at the US Open today, this year, was on point. Um, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got... They had to move all the schedules because of the heat. And and then on the final day, it just didn't stop raining, um, which is, you know, standard New York. Um, but... Um, standard, yeah. <laughs> and so they... Um, but they, they, were, they were cracking with the scheduling. But one thing I always feel about the US Open is... Um, the access is always great. Like I've, okay. um, I've, every, 
like kind of every experience I've had of the US Open. Um, and it's why I love going there. Um, they get what I'm there to do and they get why I'm there. So they facilitate it really, really nicely, you know. Um, and um, it's really, actually, it's quite nice as well because they have this area in the press office called the Media Garden. So instead of going into like a really small white press room that's just got this white paint across it and looks so formal, uh, they'll sometimes schedule like press conferences in the media garden and you're outside, you can look out onto Ash, you've got practice courts in the background, you sat there with palm trees or some form of tree, I think they're palm trees, but there are a lot of trees and you're just outside <laughs> interviewing mm -hmm. players and, and it's quite nice and it's quite different and and it's cut for me it's more like the informality that i have when i interview the players on the tour when it's not a grand slam mm -hmm. um another tournament that does that well is australian open as well um okay. because that i don't know maybe it's just relaxed vibes from those two tournaments um that just allows them to do it um but I, I, it's, it's just somewhere different to interview them <laughs> all right what is there a slam of the four um, that you think, in terms of wheelchair tennis, does the best job, and, and could you say why? I think so, I know what you're going to say. I think, I think you're going to say Wimbledon, right? No, oh, okay. you're going to Australia. So my Go first on. experience of reporting on wheelchair tennis at the Slams, well, no, it was Wimbledon, but my first going away to Slam was the Australian Open, mm -hmm. and I'd kind of led myself to believe that it was just going to be a long haul with wheelchair tennis and maybe if 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 it had the prominence by the time i retired that that would be a achievement um but i can always remember my first australian open and i went and it said the players are down at the practice court so they told me the tennis australia told me they're down you can go and watch them and see how they're doing and stuff that's fine i went down to watch it and dylan olcott had as many people around his court as Roger Federer and okay. I think for myself as a wheelchair user as a disabled person not even a wheelchair tennis player as a disabled person seeing that like literally just wheeling down to practice courts and you could see crowds by both like both were playing practicing at the same time I was like this this is a moment like why can't we recreate this moment everywhere else mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and I think it changed my outlook on because I'd been employed in media and I think I'd started as quite a like rebel reporter going, I will change this and I will do this like this. And then I, I know I was in a more of a staff job and I was like, oh no, I'm never going to change things until somebody like me becomes an editor and I don't think that's ever going to happen. And then I went to that first Australian Open. So I then went freelance uh, and do stuff for loads of places now instead of just one. And I went and went freelance and I went to my first Australian Open. I was like, man, this can happen. Like, Dylan is not taking any excuses for people not turning up, for people not showing interest. He's literally calling it out and getting the audience out there. And that's what I say. Like a lot of what happens in Australia is to do with Dylan Alcott and how he used his platform and how he went up to companies and was like, take notice of this. I'm not taking no for an answer. So then I was like, no, this is doable. So I should continue fighting for this. Um, it's why I highlight on my Twitter things like when I'm the only British journalist that turns out for the players because I think I sat there on my um, bottom keeping quiet for so long and nobody actually knows that nobody's still turning up for these guys. And on my Twitter, I have a lot of wheelchair tennis fans who follow me for wheelchair tennis. 
And yeah. I don't think they even knew the situation. So I'm like, right, no, I'm sorry. I'm not keeping quiet about this anymore. I'm letting people know that this is the situation. Um, um, so, um, so it's, um, yeah. So I think Australia showed me where it could be. Wimbledon this year was phenomenal. And I will say, I hope it remains that way. Uh, that was a big, big, big moment. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but it, my first experience of seeing what wheelchair tennis could be and what crowd it could draw was Australia. And it was the first place I'd ever seen it. Fair enough. I mean, uh, as you say, he, it, that must give you a, you know, when you saw that with the, with the Roger Federer comparison, and I was being like, wow, this is, uh, this is cool. Um, if, you know, because the sport can, can, can branch out and have more Alfie Hewitts, that would be great, especially ones that are as determined off the court uh, as on it to make change. I'm just sharing as well your Twitter handle right now as well <laughs> on our screen, as you can see. So make sure if you are a Twitter or X user, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. <laughs> Um, make sure you give Gemma a follow to keep up to date with all things wheelchair tennis related. Um, Gemma, what else have we got to look forward to in terms of the wheelchair tennis this year? So I think one thing we haven't mentioned of the US Open is actually Alfie won the senior title. but We, actually we haven't done the British... quads yet either. We haven't done the quads. Oh, no, we haven't done the quads either. But um, we also had a British winner in the junior boys wheelchair singles, okay. Dan and Ward. And then him okay. and a fellow Brit, Joshua Johns, won the doubles. And they got to play on Louis Armstrong. And nice. straight after, straight after all the senior singles finals, mm -hmm. um, and I was like, do you know what? That's that's an opportunity. Like, like Alfie says it. You know, when he started playing in his career, he dreamed about playing court ninety one at one of these slams. Now you can like kids who are following him can look up to saying, I want to play court number one. Um, and like Dannon and Joshua did it while they were playing in the juniors. You know, incredible and incredible results for Dannon, who finished runner-up actually in the junior wheelchair singles last year. He finished runner-up to another Brit, Brit Ben Bartram. Um, so um, even last year, we had quite a strong Brit contingent uh, in that US Open uh, junior um, draw. US Open's the only one Grand Slam at the minute that does a junior wheelchair tennis draw. But it's great because you get to see okay. the future and you, they get an experience of Grand Slams. Um, so, yeah, and the quads, yeah, uh, Sam Schroeder um, it was the winner of the quad singles. He played an incredible game, actually, because um, in the second set, so he, he won the first set quite convincingly, but then in the second set, Neil started causing him problems. And he was behind, like, he was behind for a lot of that second set, and I thought, oh, we're going to three here. We're, we're going to three. And then somehow he pulled it back, um, and... Um, did it in straight sets it was an incredible match to watch actually um especially that second set um because Niels was challenging him he was challenging Niels they were frustrating each other in that they were making each other make errors um so um yeah that was a really good singles singles um final to be fair and then Sam and Niels then went on to win the or doubles title as well together um so that again familiar names we're used to seeing um in um with their names on the trophies but also we had a brit in the final andy lapthorne and donald rampady uh finished runner-up in the quad doubles um they are a hilarious pair like donald has to be i think the happiest man in tennis let alone wheelchair tennis like he'll hit a dodgy shot and he'll just laugh and i'm like do you know what okay. i wish i wish i thought all about <laughs> like that about my dodgy shots because i tend to get a bit annoyed but donald just like laughs and goes well, it happened. He literally is one of the happiest players I've ever met. 
Okay. Um, but it's so great. And um, and I think him and Andy, again, a bit like Yui and um, KG, um, they're quite a new partnership who are working together, but they've already won one Grand Slam title together. Uh, and they've been in US Open um, doubles final together. So they're doing quite well, really, for a new partnership. And it, it's it's quite nice to see that partnership growing. That's what's really interesting. There are some new partnerships forming. So with these draws expanding, there are new partnerships forming and you're not just seeing the same partnerships and the, you know, this there's changes happening. And, and it, when these new partnerships are happening, it's so interesting to see how these players who, you know, in reality, go head to head against each other in singles and then have to kind of team up for the doubles. All right. Thank you, Gemma. I'm just going to post your Twitter handle as well or X handle there. So uh, give uh, Gemma a, a follow on X or, or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, at G Stevenson Sport to keep up with uh, all things wheelchair tennis related, not just through the slams, but throughout the year. Gemma, a big thanks for stopping by. Just, I did ask you a little while ago as well, a couple minutes ago, anything that it's particularly exciting on the horizon for, for wheelchair tennis this year? So, yeah, look out for the Wheelchair Tennis Masters. Uh, there's a singles and a doubles. It's the same as, like, the WTA and the ATP finals that you watch, but it's wheelchair tennis. Happening in Spain, uh, it's on clay, which is weird and different because it, they usually play those end-of-year finals on hard court. Uh, so it'll be clay different. Clay indoor clay or...? Um, I think it's outdoor. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean it can be good, goodish yeah. weather. Where, where is um, it in Spain? It's down in the south of Spain, so okay. I, I, um, so I, I mean they should be all right. But um, it's it's very yeah. it's going to be a very different one this year because you are used to seeing the end of year Masters on hardcore. Um, the reasoning for doing it, they've said, is in preparation for the Paralympics because obviously Paralympic wheelchair tennis will be played at Roland Garros, which is mm -hmm. on clay court. So um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to see because the clay does throw up a few um, random challenges. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah, I was wondering about that actually a few minutes ago when I was thinking about the four slams. Yeah, there must be some challenges for wheelchair users on clay, right? Yeah, so you, you've kind of got the different surfaces. Um, hard court's obviously the lovely one to hit on and because you can keep rolling. Um, grass court, probably the worst. So the one thing they tell you in wheelchair tennis okay. is that you've always got to keep moving. Uh, grass court stops you <laughs> from keeping okay. moving. So it, it's more of a challenge in clay sort of in between-ish. But, you know, somebody like Alfie says, you know, Alfie was always a good clay court player, but what it might throw up is some very different finals, semi-finals, quarter-finals, because it is a different surface. Uh, and they've got to kind of go from the hard court swing back into clay court training rather than carrying on with hard court. So it should be an interesting one this year. All right. Uh, big thank you to uh, Gemma for stopping by again. Hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. I would imagine probably sometime <laughs> post-Australia, but uh, who knows? We may even cross paths again before that, Gemma. Uh, a big thank you for taking time out in what I know is a busy schedule for you as well. So, well, so make sure. Your, um, um, go on, Gemma. I've seen some of the comments. Uh, just to let you um, listeners know, I'm not a Man U fan. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, okay. I, I am I a was, Man United fan. Oh, I was born in Newcastle, so I'm a Newcastle okay. fan. But okay. Hilariously, my dad's a Sunderland fan, so you can imagine what it's like in our house. Oh, yes. Tensions. Yeah. Tensions. <laughs> uh, big rivalry there. All right, Gemma. Yes, good. Uh, we've got plenty of soccer lovers or football lovers in the chat as well. <laughs> I have to say both because my audience is all over the yeah. show. Um, but, yeah. All right, Gemma. Big thanks for stopping by. And um, everybody, uh, as I said, give Gemma a follow on social media. Uh, her handle is there. And for the rest of you, you know the drill.
If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.